Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we come back to an important topic, which is understanding agility and adaptability. And in this discussion, we get very concrete about the differences between agility and adaptability and why that's important for you as you go on your own innovation journey, looking for places where standards can be applied and accelerate your team or where it's too early and learning iterations that we would call agile process are more appropriate and how teams get caught in the middle between standardization and agility. It's a really fantastic discussion and part of a longer journey for us in these topics. I know you'll enjoy the discussion. There are some townhouses around the corner from here that are literally 13, 13 feet wide, three-story, and they're selling for over a million. Yeah, I see. Which is an insane amount of money for such a small physical space. I mean, like you're buying a home with bedrooms that you can't even put a king-size bed in half the time. And some of those homes even have a sub-basement. Yeah. Like it, like the, <laughs> the basement is still like like an ensuite. And then under that, you have the sub-basement with the laundry room. So imagine. Oh, they're just that, they're just five, that narrow, narrowly stacked. Flights of stairs to, to do your laundry. Wow. Yeah. They, they, they're stacked side by side with a certain amount of recess, you know, like, you know, staggered front doors. But then they have these like tunnels that you have to go through to get to the front door on some of them. And I'm saying... Why would I pay a million three for something that looks like I'm walking into a prison? Oh, I mean, the I, 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 I built that single time I raised condos. Like it's the same, mm-hmm. the same yeah. floor design. They just added more floors on top and below. Yeah, yeah it's so it's crazy. It's actually funny that so this is an actually a good segue for the topic of the day. Um, so because the topic is a. Um, adapting versus agility from that perspective. And um, right. I mean, some of what we're describing, this is, this comes back to it. We were talking about century home. We were talking about, um, oh boy, I could bring up my compliance death curve uh, work that I've been doing. Um, You know, I I think that I, I, we, we keep coming back to this interesting idea of, you know, fitting within the space you have, which is where I was thinking about what those houses are, um, and the benefits of of being able to to do that, be adaptive, and whether or not that's agile, whether people feel like that's agility. Um, Rich is Rich has given me the a, a, a look of, no, but because here's because be, and and I'll frame it a little bit more if you don't mind. I, the Work I've been doing on this on the compliance death curve starts around the assumption that people assume that standardization means lower agility, which is a completely mistaken assumption. But I but when you walk into a shop and say, "Hey, we're going to have more standardization, more patterns and practices. You're going to conform to right our corporate standard," people throw up their hands and say, "We can't do that." We'll never be agile. We, you know, we're, we're going to give up. We're not going to be able to move fast. Everything's going to be stuck and slow. Um, and that mythology um, keeps breaking people. But I, it, I don't, I don't think we have the language well down to explain how it's not true. Well, it's not only not. Go ahead, Rich. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, a, a standard. Two things. There's a presupposition. If you're, if you put in standards and your assumption is that you're going to build absolutely everything in house, you're going to, everything is going to be DIY, then there might be a little bit of a, of a rationale behind saying, well, we won't have full flexibility, but let's put that aside for a second. Interesting. When okay. you 
when you put in standards, standard can be terribly constraining and and really very, I mean, it, it, you can overdo it. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you can put in standards that are um, better than guidelines. They are standards, but they right. actually encourage and and actually improve longevity and i i point to the a lot of the rfcs and a lot of uh, a lot of the internet protocol standards which were designed to be not overly restrictive have some lifetime and compare them to a lot of what came out of um you know osi and the and the 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 original seven layer you know standards that CCITT and ITU were were putting in place which were incredibly overweight and yeah. you know over over overly constraining so you know there are standards and then oh. there are standards and You're making me think about soap versus rest from that perspective hey. yeah which hey. we actually talked about on uh, Tuesday did you <laughs> Sorry, I missed that one. I'm looking forward to going back and listening to it. Well, but that's yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I, having written standards for many years or contributed to them, I would say that those that are really picky in the detail are so are written that way for two reasons. One, because the technologies around them have not evolved significantly enough. Uh, think about EDI, right? Or can be, or are adaptive in the sense that they can be reused as the same standard across several segments or industries. And to the point of agility versus adaptability, and they are two very different concepts, even though they're used by most of us interchangeably, the That's idea true. of the standard is usually adaptable. And so the argument that I would make is standards do not make you inflexible or inagile. They make you adaptable to a point. In other words, you have the flexibility. You can take something that's very black and white and you can still turn it into a shade of gray. And those notions of how gray is gray depends on the industry for which the standard is being used. So in a case of compliance, like XBRL is a perfect example. It came about years after XML was already in place and, you know, HTML had evolved and whatever, whatever. And somebody got the bright idea within the stock exchange community that NASDAQ and S&P and Dow should all start taking the finance, financial statements in under XBRL as the standard for reporting purposes to speed up the process. So it had a purpose. It was mindful. Now. I don't know about you, but every single financial statement of a major corporation is never going to look exactly the same to you or I. How they do the calculations is never going to be exactly the same. EBITDA is not a standard calculation. It is a calculation period. How you put those figures together to create the EBITDA, that's another story for accountants. But these are all things that are far more adaptive and adaptable than they are constraining. And so one of the things that I like to say from a compliance perspective is agile is a reactive state. Adaptive or adaptable is a proactive state. You are adapting to change. You are not reacting to change. You're foresighted. You're not hindsighted. And if you look at the, the actual we definition, left, we left the last conversation. I I, I want to dig into that because it feels right, but also not. A, a, it's I, I'm not too simple. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I agree with the with 
agile being classified as reactive. Um, I mean, if all you do is using agile to react, yes, that that, that would be reactive. But agile, the way I've seen it implemented, which may just be me being lucky, uh, but it it felt more proactive than reactive in that instead of sticking to a course that has gone astray, you proactively adjust the course of your work to meet new the new data. It's just that instead so as opposed to let's say setting a course for six months and then adjust and then do a, a, a strong adjustment and then another six months uh you reduce the length of essentially your sprints to do micro adjustments so mm-hmm. as a culture that's proactive and in, in that you know that you will need to make these adjustments let's do them earlier rather than later but in in what i've I, I like what you're saying, and it's it's really making me think here, because by design, agile process is a learning process, which I think is reactive to Joanne's point. Exactly. Right, you're, the, you're, the whole point is saying I don't know enough. I need to keep. I need to learn and go. And what make what's interesting here is that if you if somebody showed up with a standard and you were agile in this case. You would you would actually say I can't follow that standard. I don't know enough. Um, and so right there, there this is this is potentially a place where people are saying, oh, ad, you know, if I come in with standards, I'm I'm counter agile because I haven't learned that I need them yet. Well, maybe. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm, this is, I'm trying to figure trying to figure out why people are so resistant. <laughs> I mean, start okay, for the sake of standards well, that. They're, they're resistant to standards. They're not, res- they're not, I don't, are, are they, are you getting a pushback on agile or pushback on being adaptable or? Well, what, what I, the I mean, what, the stand, so, so what I'm, what I'm seeing, right. And this is the joke I was making to my team earlier today was right. It's 2024, the, the year of the, of the, the year of compliance and governance. Um, mm-hmm. Because, because most organizations have, you know, have have said, I'm going to get out my, I'm going to get my standardization and governance. I'm going to undo that, get out of the way because we need to move quickly, which is not the same as being agile, but they, that they're often conflated. And now they're coming back and saying, wait a second, I've, I can't secure this. I can't support it. Each team is doing a whole bunch of toil where they didn't, they didn't, you know, they haven't collaborated, so you can't offload toil from that team into an operations group. Right? Most of the organizations that we're talking to have created a mess for themselves because they've they haven't imposed guidance, guidance, and standards and patterns in the work they're doing. And most of them, if you come in and say, "Hey, we're going to impose standards," there is technical debt they have to burn down, but they. They, the teams really resist the idea that they're going to give up, you know, and, and they'll say, well, I don't want to give up autonomy or I don't want to give up agility to use a standard or to conform to a standard. My experience has been the, the opposite, actually. Okay. And, and, and that the teams drive the adoption of a standard because, like, yeah. for example, uh, one recent use case uh, has been... Um, like observability, like there's mm. been so many teams and, and lots of companies that are like, okay, like we want to get on top of the, the observability bandwagon, but like we we see the benefit of it, but up until fairly recently, I would say last year, um, it has been a non-standardized landscape in the sense that the libraries and the protocols have been Right, pretty much all over the place. With reason okay. too, be- because it had this has been a like, like an explosion of 
new ideas, new technologies that need to be put through the fire and, and tested, battle tested. Now that the winners are coming out, standardization is happening with open telemetry leading the pack there. Essentially, like if you want to adopt an open observability standard, you pick up open telemetry because it gives you logs, it gives you traces, it, it gives you metrics. It gives you a standard yeah. way of producing them, and it is pluggable into all of the existing systems. So, so now, this is a good time to adopt the standard because you want to use it, or in many cases, you use it anyway. And now you are reducing the toil from having to use this train systems by standardizing on one mm -hmm. method. So would you would it be worth saying that the using the term standards is uh, possibly a mistake, and that me and that is you have to you have to qualify at what point you're putting standards in place in the in, in the kind of the the life cycle, just as as Klaus has been saying. Uh, you have, you know, you have a, uh, you have some de facto standards, you have absolutely different, different places. And the other thing that you have to think about, not just the timing, but the, the intent of putting standards in place. Sometimes it's for uniformity and, and inter, you know, interworking interconnectivity sometimes it's uh to kind of extend the lifetime but sometimes it's safety it's you know i'm putting i'm putting guardrails in place and i'm putting them in early because i actually don't know all of the different troubles i'm going to get into if i leave the straight and narrow path that's that's been defined uh PTTs are notorious for putting in standards way too early, putting in something that they believe is the right thing and doing it for the purposes of safety. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, can, can you refresh my acronym knowledge? ITU. Uh, oh, oh, PTTs, uh, the, the, the national... Uh, Post and Telegraph, you know the the national um, telecommunications authorities of that are governmental. They establish the standards for their country, mm -hmm. you know, right. and uh, that's that was what I was referring referring to. Okay, so it's, there's it's, another. Sorry, ahead. sorry, Rob, I didn't mean to cut you off. There's another. No, there's another way to look at standards as well. And that's from the industries that they're being put into, as well as technology across the board. And so there's issues of democratization, cohesion, uniformity of transfer of, of data and information. Um, there's looking at the standard from the point of view of, is this got a human touch to it? Is it going to benefit or be purposeful from a societal perspective? All of those factors actually go into how ISO decides whether it's going to bless a standard or not. IEEE mm. can bless a standard and say, yes, it's good in the in this very specific domain, which is to Rich's point where it can be very restrictive and to Rob's point as well. But from yeah. the compliance perspective of a standard, it's Everybody must provide X or Y. And that gets to my safety argument. You know, if yeah, safety I, I is the if safety is the is the driving principle, great. That's what's gonna happen. And it's gonna be often too early with the stated idea that yeah, we're putting we're you know, we're putting training wheels on you here. We're we're going to create a, a a fairly narrow range in which you have um, degrees of freedom, but we're doing it for 
everybody's safety for for a number of beneficial reasons and we're going to we're going to put in place validation and certification and compliance in order to reinforce the message that you know this is for the greater good the safety of the community that's involved here i don't know if i agree that these are premature right no not always i i I, I, would, I would Absolutely. i would say at least safety standards are in some cases misguided like for example the password composition rules that we're now trying to undo um yeah. the, the other side uh, apart from security i i think is uh and, and this perhaps uh applies more to the factor standards rather than written standards is reduction of toil because a yeah. standard gives you replaceable parts mm-hmm but actually, also, uh, supply well, supply chain supply chain is another yeah, yeah well but, which is a it, combination of reduction of toil and security mm-hmm. exactly it, so so one of the things that's interesting that that's coming up here is right and ad, agile is important in as a learning process and adapting is important as you've what as you've as you come into a place where there's more repeatable patterns where we can actually say right because the the standards don't work. I've been I've been hearing this consistently within the discussion. They're not going to work if you don't if you don't know what the pattern. If there's not something repeatable patterns, you're imposing standards too early, and you've missed your learning cycle. But one of the things Joanne said early was that we can overdefine standards, and those right and those are creating too much um, toil. Toil. Well, and and then what was what, what's interesting is that you can actually break. Based on what I'm hearing, is that we can sort of break things down into sort of layers of standardization and objectives. Yeah. So there's standardization mm-hmm. to collaborate for, with other people. There's colla- there's things to transfer knowledge, like like the way Git became a standard, right? There's toil reduction. I have security, um, people and skills, being able to reuse people's skills, and then supply chain, so that you actually have interchangeable vendors. There's all of these different com- sort of rationales for having right. standards but they have different levels like what you were saying with uh interchanging financial statements you know over specifying that is going to eliminate people's participating in the standard and so get, creating a high adoption rate on a standard is also part of the objective with this right, right. but that adoption rate like in the case of xprl i forget whether it was the dow or nasdaq one of the majors and their cohorts around the world that are owned by the same basic entity all said by X date government will require you to do this. There is law behind it. And they had a three year window to then take the standard, develop it out as best practices and use case and, you know, uh, download this to get that kind of thing um, where everybody was in conformance. And the reason that they did this, by the way, was for the public good so that you could get the financial statements out to the public, quote, the shareholders who were majorly going to be impacted one way or another within a very short period of time from the end of a quarter or from the end of a a year end or whatever. And so it took about three and a half years for them to do that. Now to the two points, to your point, Rob, about the variation about what is the intent of the standard from IEEE's point of view, from ISO's point of view, it is about repeatable process and everybody always does the same process. Everybody should have the same result. That's the foundation of it. How you then portend or play that out longer term is in the version one, version two, version, you know, whatever. But agile just to to muddy the waters a little bit and take it back to the beginning. Agile is, you know, a synonym for nimble. How fast can I do it? How easily can I do it? How fast 
facile am I as a corporation to adopt something new or to adapt to change? Adaptable. Change, on the other, well, changing direction and how, changing and direction. how much. Yes. Right. Based on a trigger. It's kind of like event-driven architecture, which I'm a huge fan of. Something happens, you then react. But my point of view is if you can anticipate that something is going to happen based on the predictions made previously or the you know harbingers and bellwethers that come out in your industry, then you should be an adaptable organization and start the processes of how you're going to deal with that eventuality in something as simple as if this, then what? else right you you can do that so being adaptable and being adapt and 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 looking at a standard says i can adopt that standard and adapt it to my specific use cases and business scenarios because i know i'm not going to be the only corporation in this same scenario the the variability of the scenarios will change like a gauge might change by a degree or or more, but generally I'm going down the same course as my co-opter. I'm going to face the same issues. The standard allows me to bring forward my view of adaptability because I have the, the Rosetta stones in place. I have the cornerstones in place to be able to adopt, adapt, and be agile all at the same time. It's interesting because I'm thinking through like how USB has adapted yeah, um, from that perspective as a standard because there's two, right? There's the, the communication bus, power supply, and then there's the physical adapter. Right. And one of the things that has made that standard work really well is that the standard has adapted over time to different use cases, right? It didn't, right. We, we had, you know, we, we, and we still have, USBs that you know still work. They're you know the, the the A plugs are still compatible with the C adapters. You know you have to buy an adapter, but but we have you know USB has been a standard, um, and and it's adapted from oh, that, that perspective. That's I think we are seeing a little bit of a regression now with USB C because so I'm uh, particularly with, with the cables because not every cable is the same. So uh, one USB-C oh, cable might only be able to provide um, like USB 2 type speeds. Uh, another one, USB 3.1. Another one might be able to do power delivery. Um, <laughs> That's true. There is no standard and, and for a, labeling. And yet, another, yet another one you, know, you can use for uh, um, you know, very, not just differences in speed, but differences in protocol in basically in, in low level protocol. So yeah. yeah. And, and there's is, no this the, is the, where this is where they lose the plot. Yeah, and where when you pull out pull out that cable <laughs> the, yeah. the cable drawer and you plug it in and damn it oh. does not work. <laughs> and, and particularly because there's no labeling standardization. Uh you like you have to guess, yeah. or, or you, like in some cases, it might even be that the, the vendor claims to be compatible, uh, and it, it just is. It's not, and they're not. Yeah. And and uh, you know, it's funny that you're talking about USBs because this week that's been the bane of my existence. I have micros, I have Cs, As, and I have ports on my new little tiny computer. And a bunch of cables, and I cannot see well enough because they're so tiny to, you know, I keep plugging the wrong end into the port going, why the hell is this not fitting? And then I look, take a magnifying glass and look, and I go, well, duh, you know, um, micro is not going to fit into C. And now I'm looking for a single package, which I cannot find on Amazon, by the way, of multiple ends, male and female ends, that I can just buy in as a package of C to micro to B to A to, you know, whatever as one package. I now have to buy six packages of adapters to get and one mix. I, I've been funny, like we have, I've, I'm slowly, we're down to very few, but I have some older devices that have the, um, the, the micros. Yeah. yeah. And, 
And but the squids that people are, are giving out now only have Mac, you know, A Mac and C, and the micros are right. I'm going to have to bring specific micro cables um, or adapters or adapters. But, Bands, yeah. Uh, but the yeah, good thing about the adapters the Rubicon now, on the number. But, but the good <laughs> thing about the adapters now is that they're they're compact enough and they're sturdy enough that you can just toss them in your bag and, and not worry about them being damaged um, to the point of being unusable. Yeah. yeah. That's true. But but this is this is the perfect example of Agile will Let's not see. help you here. Yeah. Why not? It's because no matter fast, how quickly not... you react, no, no matter yeah. how quickly you react, you you your reaction is not going to yield you the result if you don't have the right plug. Is this, oh, is this a story about, about what, what Apple did, where Apple went off on their own or and weren't well, patient for the standards? or No, Apple went off on their own and took the headphone jack away because they wanted to boost <laughs> their beacon business. And everybody else said, from a manufacturing perspective, that's a sweet idea. I'm going to copy it. And then they eventually disappeared. And then you have people like me who do not want to be um, trolled while we're in particular locations and don't want those beacons going, hello, do you want a discount on this? Or, you know, buy from me or whatever, whatever. It's like, uh, you know, being in Marrakesh at this point <laughs> with all the beacons. But that's the reason that they did it. Not for production quality or cost reduction. Simply to bolst the ancillary business called beacons which they pretty much own the market for and, and now society is suffering from it because turns out that many of the current most popular bluetooth implementations have an unfixable vulnerability right right the bluetooth but, implementations yeah, yeah. The, 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 it's it's possible to man in the middle Bluetooth communications, and and essentially, uh, as long as you are as your device is paired with a with a with another Bluetooth device, uh, a man in the middle can intercept that and change the device type to a keyboard or or or, or oh. any kind of HID uh, mm-hmm. input device and start interacting with. With your system. And you know where it's most prevalent? Cars. Oh, sure. Mm. Especially taxis and Ubers and Lyfts and those kind of folks, because it's very simple to do. Everybody has Bluetooth on. Bluetooth is on in your car, even if you haven't paired your device. Right. And I, where it came out and I asked someone who was at CES one of the people from one of the vendors um, who I shall not name, uh, but let's <laughs> say that their partner is Honda. And I said, so how do you prevent this from happening in your now, you know, new cars that you're saying are so, they're going to be level four autonomous. They're going to be super safe. All of the edutainment, infotainment, blah, 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 blah you're listening to as you're driving how are you going to keep that safe and secure and their answer was we don't know they're working I mean, on it i, I think he does have to answer for this like you do network segmentation <laughs> this is what vlans were, were made for in the first place yeah yeah but but you know how big who, of a vlan knows, can you who the hell knows how to who knows how to uh, to put in place and then manage VLANs. And, you know, no one's made that a, uh, you know, a dead simple kind of e- easy thing to do. It's just, it's, uh, it's, it's still a mess. Um, Rob, you yeah. talked about the, the conformance what do you say? You called it compliance, the, death the curve. compliance death curve. Yeah, compliance death curve. Tell me what you mean by that. 
Um, the I've, I've been, this is a series of talks I'm working on putting together. Um, mm-hmm. the, the idea is that, that you know, companies are, are really struggling to, um, and I think we've described it really well, reduce toil, improve security, right? Accelerate their teams. Because right now, a lot of their teams are not moving very fast. They're not agile the way they think they should be. Um, I think Klaus is a good example, right? They, we, you know, having them converge to an observability standard would actually make all the teams more effective. Because then you could say, we're going to build a, 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 a observability platform and have a team govern that, specialize in it. Now you've offloaded something from all the teams. But moving at, at current time, most companies that, that I'm talking to have not tried their have been agile, so they've been in these learning curves. They've built a whole bunch of of stacks where they have not. They, they're missing the standardization, the benefits of standardization that we've articulated. Mm-hmm. But when somebody shows up and says, "We're going to help you standardize these processes and operations," the teams rebel against that standardization mo- motion. And that's I think- the compliance death curve because because they look at it. They, what they look at is two things. One is they don't want to be told what to do. But they also, and they look at the toil, the, the work it's going to take to comply with the standard, because now they have to uproot work they've done to move to that standard. And so when they, the, the compliance death curve, um, actually, wait, I think I could actually show you the curve, um, if you'll bear with me for a second. Um, yeah. Let's see. Last time I tried to do this, my computer crashed. Let's see. Oop. Ah, good. Here, I got it. I'll, I'll share it, and you can see what what I'm talking about. Um, here it is. Okay. Uh, jump in here. So what what you what what I've been talking through in this is I'm not going to zoom in any bigger. Um, That's great. Is is this idea of of standardization? That we've been talking about, but there's a you bringing controls during this phase, and people feel agility is dropping during the standardization phase. And what they don't have a feel for is the bottom of that curve. So they're very worried about this time where they've lost agility putting in standardization, and they're not getting the benefit yet from the standards. So, so this I've I've been finding right the this resistance of standardization in organizations because they perceive that they're only going to lose agility. And what we've been talking about here is, right, and this is that, so there's a lot of frustration at this point. There's very little benefit to the, to the, to the work that companies have to do. And, and frankly, they're, they're all goldfish. So most teams, most companies don't have enough longevity to think that they're going to work through this process, fortunately. Um, but what we're talking about, and I think we're really clear at, is once you put in these standards, we have all these benefits, right? The toil reduction, security, compliance, you know, improved uh, portability of skills. So there's a huge innovation phase that comes after the standardization lube. But... So- yeah. Can I make a suggestion? Sorry to interrupt you. Love where to, you have love the innovation, to. where you have the innovation phase and your up arrow next to it, uh-huh. I would call that adaptability. I like it. Okay. Because that gets you, and and there's another part of this which I would I I had a question, which is why I interrupted you. Where's adoption? Okay. I hadn't because thought about it like that. It's never going to be a straight line. You're you're right, and I think that um, one of the things that I go, th- I'm I'm as this is what's fun. I'm trying to. This is this sort of concept where, and in in this before it, there's some this we, where I started in the today was the this myth of standardization and agility are at odds with each other, and autonomy and standardization are at odds with each other. So right. I'm, I'm building up the the mathematical. There's a mathematical part to this that that goes into you know why companies resist. Why actually, it's why teams resist what the company needs to do from a standardization perspective. Um, 
and Actually, I, you know some of it's go ahead if you can go back to the previous slide um you mean I, this one sorry yeah I'm, I'm not sure i, I agree that uh, autonomy and standardization are using the same units i i, I don't think you can <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> I, I was going to ask the same question. <laughs> like, like, in, in, like, uh, as, as, like, from 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 your chart, like, standardization is complementary to autonomy. Uh, and and uh, but like, it, there is a I, there's I a Venn diagram where, where 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 autonomy and standardization overlap. Yes, but uh. And again, like that, they're, they're not conflicting, uh, and they're also not multiplying um, ideas. They, they they apply to different business aspects or or, or, or task mm -hmm. aspects because it doesn't need to be a business. How does I, it I, I, and this is this is me. and standardization? Sorry. There's, a, I, I, there's another, there's another, mm -hmm. there's another force that needs to be added to your, your graph. Okay. That's a down pull. It's, it's the gravity, you know, it's, it's the thing that, that actually creates a larger area between the two curves during that. Um, Technical depth? Yeah. Or, or. I mean, or this is, this, is, this is actually the technical debt. This is the technical debt this phase. Is, it's technical but, yeah. debt and and yeah. There's something else that there's missing. And and mm -hmm. the other thing that may also mediate this is back to um Klaus's point about the point in the process. There's a there's a time, there's a Kind of in in the whole adoption curve, there's a there's an optimal time to introduce standards. Oh, I like that. Yeah, and and that that's probably one of the areas that you need to address, and that in itself, you know, the choice of where in time you you need to implement a standard or put one in place has to do with going back even further in the conversation the intent why am i putting something in in place if it's safety it might have to go in early it's a it's a cost it's more costly but it is your costly in this term but it's um you're putting it in earlier because you're you're trying to you know protect the community the end user what have you so i think i think adding a couple of things there this the is great feedback curve is is really important the incorporation of you know what causes more gravity and you know basically bringing that minimum benefit line down even further that would be important but the way I would actually visualize it is that so let is that I would start with autonomy by itself with mm. arrows going in all directions. <laughs> and then when you add standardization, you take into a your autonomous teams a direction so that they work yeah, in unison yeah. as opposed to potentially against each other. I like I like yeah. that visual. I need to I need um, to think about it. So, so I have a question. Yeah, because I, it's a premise question. Can you the slide that you have that says agility equals autonomy and standard times standardization? Uh huh. Explain, please. <laughs> what do you mean? By that? We're out of time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. By I, the bell. I, no. I, I, yeah, that one. It, that it, one. That one. I it, lost. Yeah, and and. And here's what I'm. I, I'll explain what I'm trying to do, and then if you're, if it's all right, we'll bring this up as next week's topic. Sure. Um, and then we'll put we'll put the book we'll put the book discussion the week after that. Um, the, if y'all haven't read it, um, it's the it's the negotiation one, um, mm -hmm. which is 
which has been doing the rounds, um, never split the difference. But um, the what I'm what I'm trying to do here is I'm I'm trying to math up a little bit, and I don't I don't I'm not claiming to get it right. Um, I I I I had an opportunity to put this together um, sort of as a as a preview of it, and so I'm I'm trying to pull in these mathematical concepts because I think it helps build the graph, but they're not all connected yet. So next week I'll go into what my thinking is with this a, a lot more. And um, I would love to get some feedback. I, I think I've got sure. this core concept that we're all, we're all nodding to, which is something is scaring people away from a, what should be a beneficial operation at the team at a multi-team level. And they're, they're, you know what I'm trying to do is get it very concrete as to what what's going on for for these companies so they can overcome it. One of the things that would be really helpful is if mm-hmm. you had um, a graphic that said optimally you'd like to minimize the mm. you know, minimize the the air the shaded area. Um, there may be another dimension in there. There may be a, both an X, Y, and Z. I like what, yeah, because what uh, this is what I've been trying to sort of go between is there is this graph has this perception problem. And then we get right. into what, what, which, which we're acknowledging is true. And then, and then we're acknowledging that there's a benefit and shepherding people through it. But I agree with you. There's, there's, um, we should talk. About, there should, is, should be some paths. What would, what would an optimal, you know, kind of kind of best <laughs> best case look like, and what would a, a pathological? <laughs> this is. I, like? and I think. I think this is what what you're describing to me is the vendor versus the the consumer. Ver, like the yeah. vendor walks in with the optimal path, which which basically. <laughs> start you know ba- st- eliminates the whole bottom part of this curve and the right. the the user looks at you know looks at it and just says we're never gonna this break-even point is never gonna is 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 not practical and so we've got these overly optimistic and overly pessimistic viewpoints um yeah. and that's where the death you know people just they get what i'm seeing broadly in the industry and what we'll talk about next week is is they just get stuck because they they're so afraid of the the downslope of this curve, they never can get to the. They have trouble getting to the other side. What what Just you might also want to chart is agility without standardization. So, for example, like an, an initial oh, spike, because you have the freedom to do things, then a plateau, and then a significant drop as your tech debt accrues, and, and that might Ooh. be the, the second graph that you include there. Um, uh, and how that, that is, then uh, and, essentially drags your ability down because you have not standardized. And then and I would, the demand for connectivity, in other words, yeah. multiple multiple players coming into the market and uh, into whatever this universe of discourse is, and you say, uh, great, you know, as long as it was within their own their own backyard great they had they had a wonderful time they they got to do whatever it was they wanted when it came time to deal with interworking interconnection um that's when you know reality bites I, I like yeah I, I need to do a little bit more framing how enterprises have operated so far and what we're, and what we're what's Rob before you drop off if I can just yeah. throw in a, a comment that that one line that you have where if if you can show this slide adaptability yeah 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 you you know the one uh, that I'm talking uh, about this one or this this no uh the one I think it was the one before no the uh, eleven okay this yeah. one. <laughs> Yeah. Um, flip this around in your brain before you change it on your slide 
And okay. so standardization equals agility plus autonomy to the power of n. Because that's really what you're, I think, you may be trying oh, to say. Oh, oh, okay. You're, 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 you're being more mathy than I was, I was, I was thinking. I'm gonna let me, let me take, let me digest that. And I hadn't thought about putting adaptability into this either. Uh, is which, what is it? What is n in this? Is that individual? The exponential value. Yeah, yeah. The the flywheel, the network effect. This is. I, I've been trying to work into some exponential effect because the. The graph actually is exponential. Uh, I know. Um, and 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 so I, I I was trying to make this mathy, and then I got I only got so far, and then I I wrote things down and committed to uh, putting ideas out there. And I the, I love the the feedback because right I I this is six months away from being where I needed to be, um, but it's it's directionally correct. So. Well, that's good. I have a chart that I'm going to send you that you might want to model off of, by the way. Please. I'd love to see it. Cool. Yeah, no problem. I I, I, I did not expect to create so much excitement on, on this at the end of the meeting. We will definitely pick it back up um, next time and, and we'll we'll do some 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 mathing. Wow. I really enjoy when this group can get concrete with examples and specific action items to help you think through a course of action in when to adopt standardization. And as a bonus, we spent some time uh, preparing for a more detailed review of my compliance death curve uh, discussion. Um, and that conversation will be ongoing. We're going to pick it up next week. Uh, and then I'm working to make that a formal talk, which means it will come back as I get the actual topics locked in uh, and perfected. Come in, join us, be part of those discussions. Um, we are also going to be talking through the Cloud 2030 Book Club, which will uh, involve Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, an excellent book about negotiation. Uh, you can find out all of our details and schedule at the2030.cloud. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. All part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.